Crescent Entertainment Group, this is Who Wrote That Book, where we interview authors and learn more about their life and work. Fall in love with your favorite story and author all over again. I'm Laura, and on this episode, how Karen White explains her writing process and her process in how she became an author. life in London that is so interesting um what was your life like there do you do you remember any childhood memories yes so we moved there um right before I started seventh grade and I was there middle school through um high school and even um my first year in college my parents still lived there and I um returned home like for Christmas, and then for that summer, the first summer after my freshman year in college, um, my parents still lived there, and I worked in London for um, that summer, just a temporary job, and that was really fun. For Kelly Girl, um, Kelly Girl was, uh, it was an American company, but they did the temporary, um, like, um, staffing, you know, when there was certain companies, if somebody was going on sick leave or maternity leave, and they just needed somebody to kind of you know, catch up with some of the office work. Um, and so I did that. I love that. And I was in the East end of London. It was fabulous, but we lived in an amazing building, um, built in 1903 or 04. I, I always get that confused right on Regent's park. Um, and that was actually the setting of my book, the last night in London is that flat, um, on, in Harley house. Um, we had Joan Collins as our neighbor. She was, uh, Jackie Collins sister and the star of, um, dynasty, which was really, really big in the eighties, uh, which is when I lived there and her daughter, uh, Tara and I would walk to school sometimes, but, um, yeah, it was just extraordinary. I mean, it really opened my eyes to living history. You know, our, our building had been there during the blitz, um, in World War II. Plus, you know, everything since 1903 had been just a, you know, sort of a, um, a witness to history. And I just, I love that. And I think that really nudged my appreciation for history and how, you know, old buildings really are, are like time capsules. Were there other old buildings that really stood out to you that you used in books and things like that, your other books? Um, well, every single one of my house, every single one of my books has, um, an old house as a main character. Uh, the only exception is in, uh, my book pieces of the heart. And then it's an historic, uh, movie theater. So I just, I love old buildings. I love old architecture. And, uh, apparently the apple didn't fall far from the tree because my daughter has a graduate degree in historic preservation, uh, so, and she works in the preservation field now. And actually for a couple of years after uh, graduate school graduation, she worked for the National Trust in Washington, DC. So um, yes, we're, we're both avid house huggers. <laughs> I love that, house huggers. <laughs> oh my God. You know, there's street huggers, there's home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what brought you, uh, so you lived your life in London. So interesting, so cool. What brought you to the state? So my my parents were both born and raised in Mississippi. And then um, uh, after they were married, you know, my so after uh, graduation, my dad was in the Army for four years and then um, uh, uh, worked for ExxonMobil. Back then it was only Exxon. 
but he was with them for his entire career, and he was a, an executive with Exxon, and, and, and it was because of his job that we moved all over the place. And that's why we were in London. We also lived in Venezuela, and we also lived in the Netherlands, which was really cool, but it was all because of my dad's job. So um, we always went to the American schools. Um, when we were in London, we went to the American school in London uh, in St. John's Wood, which was probably one of the best schools um, in the world, I think, for um, uh, pre-college. It was a college prep school. The curriculum, I mean, I went to a pretty hard college, but I have to say I was very prepared because at the American school, we were, you know, writing 50-page term papers. We were, you know, we were just doing a lot of things that a lot of kids don't get exposed to until college. But it was a college prep curriculum, which is why it was very tough. Um, and it really did prepare me for college. So, so yes, we always went to the American school, mostly because my brothers and I knew and our parents assumed, I guess, that we would want to go to uh, American universities. And transferring credits and everything from a different school system, like the British, it's very different. You might lose some credits and then, you know, have to take extra classes to go to college or, you know, um, and so that, that's why we did the American, um, college prep program at the American school in London. Oh my gosh. That is so cool. I didn't even know that was there. Yeah. And there's, uh, and my little brother, cause he's almost eight years younger than I am. When my parents moved in, moved to the Hague, when I was in college, he went, uh, to high school at the American school in the Hague. So the American school system is all over the place, Geneva, Paris, um, Berlin, I mean, really everywhere. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a great school system. Yeah. Wow. That is so interesting. I, seriously, I didn't even know that was a thing. I just thought you move to a different country, you have to learn the language, you have to learn all the Well, stuff. England, whether I learned the language or not, no. right. that, that was the easy part of that assignment. Yeah, you Definitely. didn't have to learn the language. <laughs> English versus English. <laughs> yeah, there are differences, of course. But. Right, right. And you studied at Tulane, is that how you say mm-hmm. it? Tulane University? Yeah. What did you study there? So I was a business major, um, only because I didn't know anything else to, to, to major in. I just, um, you know, it's not like because my, my, both of my kids, you know, are college grads and my daughter has a graduate degree. So I've been through the whole thing of, you know, helping your kid find their way and find their, you know, the right path and whatever. And, and somehow, uh, you know, we, our kids really had great experiences, um, and chose wisely. And, um, but you know, I don't, it could have just been my parents. My parents just sort of like, were very, you know, do your own thing kind of thing. So I, I picked my school. I picked, you know, there wasn't any guidance. I picked my major. I didn't, I mean, there was no guidance from my parents. So I just kind of did the best I could. The only guidance my father gave me because, you know, he and my mom were going to be living overseas while I was in college. They just wanted me to go to school in the South because that's where all of my family is. So if there was ever an emergency or I needed family, they were nearby. Um, and which made sense. And then I wanted to go to a smaller college or university, which is one of the reasons why I picked Tulane, um, because the big state schools would all be from, 
you know, like I was used, my graduating class was 114 kids. You know, I had, you know, AP history with eight kids in my class. Um, same with like my, I had an algebra two class where it was less than 10 people. And I think that is why I love algebra. You know, I'm a writer, but I love algebra. I love trigonometry. I love, I hate physics and calculus, but you know, but I think it's because I learn better in a smaller environment where I'm not distracted. And that's why I didn't want to go to a big state school. Um, and plus, I was used to being around a very diverse crowd. Um, my classmates came from, you know, every state and pretty much every country, because even other countries will, you know, their kids will come to the American school. Um, we had a lot of Canadians, so we had 13th grade for Canadians, because they have to have 13 grades before they go, like, into the, the Canadian uh, university system. But... Um, but yeah, so um, that's how I ended up picking two. I mean, I actually, it was between Vanderbilt and Tulane. And um, my dad, back in the day, you know, my dad traveled around the world all the time for his job. And back in the day, before you were born, the airlines used to give their passengers like cool gifts, like beautiful playing cards, packs of playing cards and like a travel bag and all of these really cool things. And, um, I mean, I, I cringe thinking of all the stuff that we threw away when my parents downsized, like my dad had Pan Am travel bags, you know, and Pan Am doesn't even exist anymore, but, um, we flew Pan Am a lot between, um, the States and in Europe, especially London. Um, I can't even remember where I was going. Oh, 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 oh. So why pick Tulane? So this deck of cards, one of the decks of cards, it was a, from Delta actually, had um, New Orleans with a picture on the back of it, you know, and all the backs of the cards. I'm like, that looks kind of like a fun place. And you remember, I had gone to, I'd lived in London for so long that I was used to a more cosmopolitan feel. And, you know, New Orleans isn't that kind of cosmopolitan. It's much different. But like Nashville was way smaller, way more like different than London. I think I would have been happy at either place, but it really wasn't eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And my dad didn't, my parents had gave me zero guidance. So I'm like, okay, well, we have this deck of cards here with New Orleans on it. Let, New Orleans it is. So there, that's, and it was a good decision. I'm, I'm very glad I, because I, it exposed me to like a really awesome city. Um, and now I'm in, I've already written a book set there and now my next series is set there. So it's, um, sort of serendipitous, I guess. Oh my gosh. That is a cool story. Kind yeah. of like a fate in a little bit. Yeah. Just, or just like bumbling, you know, I just bumble into a lot of things and it works out. Okay. <laughs> it is what it is, I guess. Cause that's my motto. That'll go on my gravestone. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You should write a book about that. It is what it is. How to be. It is what it is. Have that mindset. I love it. During college, did you have any thoughts of being a writer while you oh, were gosh, studying no. business? No? No. I, I've always loved books. I've always loved to read, but I have never liked to write. Um, you know, once I'm in the, in the middle of it, that's where I find But like getting myself into the chair is... I will I will scrub 10 toilets just to, you know, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I will think of any excuse not to write. Um, it just, you know, uh, 
I don't know, because it really, you know, it sucks it out of you, um, as I, as I'm learning now, but, um, and even now it's like, and, and I, I can never remember which famous writer said this. It's somebody like Flannery, um, O'Connor, somebody like that, maybe Eudora Weldy. I, I don't know, but, um, the famous quote is, um, I hate writing. I love having written. And that's it. You know, when I finish a, a, a writing, you know, it, it could have been, you know, wild horses dragging me into my chair and then, you know, the, the, the chains and the whips on my back, you know, while I'm writing. But then when I'm done, it's like, that's pretty cool. You know, that was, I got into the flow there and that was great. But um, yes, I, I, I much prefer having written than writing. Totally. Oh my goodness. I, you know what, honestly, the hard part is showing up. That's always the hard part. It is for anything, going to work every day, you know, but at least, you know, if I had an office job, I would have the transition of getting into my car and getting there with me. It's like, I work from home. So it's like, oh, I need to redo my bookshelves. You know, my, my books aren't in the right order. I mean, literally anything I can think of. It's just ridiculous. So my next question was, what made you write your first book? Like, what inspired that? So, so it was, it was a, book a book hangover, and that's what, you know, avid readers call it when, you know, you read a book and you just cannot pick up another book to read because you're still, even like weeks after finishing a book, turning that last page, you can't get yourself out of that story or out of those characters' lives. And I read Diana Gabaldon's um, Outlander series, or the first four books, I think it was, that were out. And um, I was stuck in Scotland. I could not pull myself away. And I remember all my teachers, I mean, in school, my teachers were always saying, my gosh, Karen, you're so creative. You should, you should be a writer. And I'd be like, no, no, I don't want to be a writer. I will always be a reader, but I do not want to be a writer. Um, even though I'd be the one, you know, I'd watch, watch a movie or read a book and I would be creating my own endings if I didn't like the endings. Obviously the, the signs were there, but, um, yeah, so, yeah, so I'd, I'd read these books and, and I couldn't pick up another book to read and I missed reading. So I just thought, you know, how hard can it be? So, you know, if I don't tell anyone, if I don't have a deadline, if I just, I'm just going to start writing the kind of book that I would want to read. And, and that's how I ended up writing my first book. I entered it into a writing contest only because Diana Gabaldon, if you got to like the finalist round, would give you a written critique of your manuscript. And that is the only reason why I entered it. Um, so I actually ended up winning the contest. So not only did I get a critique from Diana, and she's wonderful, um, but I also got an offer of representation from a New York literary agent who happened to be one of the finalist judges for the, um, for the contest. So that was sort of, again, that's how I bumbled into my writing career. Just bumbling. You're bumbling. I bumbled into it. I didn't plan. And, you know, and, and I'm not saying it's been easy and all roses. I mean, I've definitely had my ups and downs. Every career is up and downsies and um you know in my my the way I started was a little I guess easier than most but I still had to write that book you know um it wasn't nobody was giving me a free ride I had to have a book <laughs> so um and I guess because I I bumbled into it I didn't ever really think that this was what I was supposed to be doing like I, I the imposter syndrome really is still very alive and well in me like you know I was a business major. 
have no business writing books. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and that's why I really, I don't do a lot of, um, when people say, oh, can you come talk to our high school class about writing? I'm like, no, because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing everything wrong. And it just, because I do, I don't outline, I don't pre-plot, I don't do anything but sit down and write. And I don't know where my endings are coming from. It works, but I'm not going to tell people they should write that way because that is a horrible way to write. It is the most stressful, ridiculous, long-winded way to write. And um, I would never, but I've tried doing it other ways. That was how I wrote my first book. And I, I that's how I've been writing every other book since then. So... I don't know any other way to do it and it works for me, but, um, and I've tried doing the outlining thing and the pre-plotting and I just, I'll spend all this time on an outline and then I'm on the first page and my characters are like, sorry, we want to do this instead. And I'm just like, well, that was, you know, time wasted, um, time I'm never going to get back. So, um, so yeah. And so even I really 12 books in is when I, I think 12 books, maybe less, when I hit the New York Times for the first time, the bestseller list. And and then I started thinking, well, maybe this isn't a fluke. But um, I still, the imposter syndrome is still there. You know, 31 books later, it's still there because surely I should have gone to school for this, you know, and studied it so I know what I'm doing. Um, but I like people say, well, obviously, um, like at the Marion school, we had to take lots of writing classes, which was great. Um, and even at Tulane, um, where I was a business major, when I was in college, um, you would start, um, in the liberal arts side for your freshman and sophomore year. And you have to take all these prerequisite classes for the business school. And then you'd have to apply to the business school. And they only had a certain number of people, students they'd let in. So you wanted to make sure that you had the best grades possible so that you wouldn't have to transfer if you wanted to stay a business major. So, um, where was I going with this? There was a point to this. There was a point. See what happens? I go off on tape because I'm looking at that that gecko or whatever that is on my window behind you. Um, I, w- I was going somewhere with this story and I can't even... Writing. Oh, so, so, so I've always written. I, you know, I've, I've had to write essays. I've had to do, you know, you know, sticking knitting needles in my eyes. I've had to do writing, you know, throughout my educational career, which I'm very grateful for. Um, I had great um, creative writing teachers in high school and college um, because I had to take those liberal arts classes even in college. I had to take my, you know, I had to get my science and my math and and all of that before I went to business school. So, you know, I think I was well-trained, but I think the best training I ever had was all the reading I've done since I was, you know, a little girl and, you know, read my first Nancy Drew um, you know, there's only so much you can learn by being taught. Um, to me, the best, the best way to learn how to write is to read a good book, um, a book that pulls you in and then you kind of read it again to see what it is about that book that pulls you in. And then you're like, Oh, okay, this is cool. I get it now. I get it. So, although you still have to reinvent the wheel with every book, but Totally. Yeah. Speaking of uh, your your most recent book, The Shop on Royal Street, which congratulations, mm-hmm. you just published that. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. That's, Mar- when did it come out? March 29th. Yeah. 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 I was going to say uh, February, March, I remember reading um, 
really really cool i mean that plot in itself it's so creative how did you even come up with that well you know it's a spinoff um of another series that has seven books so it was really you know in 2008 when i um wrote when i i guess when the house on trad street was published you know that the whole story idea i have no idea where it came from it popped into my head and i just started writing and you know it's 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 about an ocd realtor who can talk to dead people, but doesn't want to. And so to block them out, she sings ABBA. I mean, I have no idea where that came from. I have, you know, and, and it's set in Charleston. And I just, you know, I, I, I try not to examine where my ideas come from. They just pop into my head and then they live there. So, um, so for eight books, I wrote these sort of fun, you know, I wouldn't call them paranormal. They're, they're, there's definitely the paranormal element in them. But we also have um, family dynamics, just like all of my, all of my books. Um, old houses, like all of my books. So there's a lot of similar elements to my Southern women's fiction as in the series books. And so after the seventh book, I figured it was time to let my characters sort of live their happily ever afters because I'd been torturing for them, them for so long. So I thought I wasn't ready to say goodbye completely. So that's why The Shop on Royal Street is the first book in a brand new series. I took one of the secondary characters from that first series so that you don't have to have read that first series to know what's going on in, in this one. It's a completely new thing. And it's, it's about 10 years after the last book in the Trad Street series. So we've moved on. People are older, people are wiser. Um, and then the main character, you know, then has had a very turbulent decade um, that we, she's dealing with now as she starts her new life in New Orleans. So, um, so yeah, so that, you know, didn't give me the plot, but I kind of knew where I was start starting from because I'd already had all that backstory to, to work from. Yeah, sure. Is it, is it hard to write a series? Like what is your writing process when you do? It's, it's the same as I write, you know, any other book. Um, the good thing is, especially, you know, with a series, you have certain givens, you know your main character, you know your setting, you know your secondary characters. You don't have to reinvent them every single, you are not starting with a blank page every time you start a new book in the series, you know? And, and I always like to leave the previous book on a hook so that not just, you know, for my readers to like be wanting to read more, but just to like clue me in that, you know, this, is, this would be a good place to start the next book with, you know, carrying on with this plot and this big, unanswered question that I end every book with totally okay that makes sense I always thought it was so hard to write a series no I mean I, I will say that I have hired a, um, a millennial to when um, she was she worked on Broadway and so she was looking for work during um, uh, COVID and her mom is a good friend of mine and she said well you know Haley would love to you know if you, if you have anything you know you can throw her away you know she's looking to earn money I was like oh let's do a series Bible. So that's what she did. So every character, you know, hair color, eye color, where they went to school, what car they drive, what size shoe they are, you know, any, she read through the entire series and then the first book in the, in the Royal Street series so that it's all in one place. And I know, so if I'm like, oh, what kind of car did she drive in the first book? You know, when, I'm, when you're on the fourth book, you can't remember everything. So that's, the Bible is incredibly helpful. Otherwise, there would be so many errors. And, you know, I have so many smart readers. They would, they would let me know immediately if I got something wrong. 
Oh my gosh, that is so cool. I love that. The series Bible. That is yeah. so cool. I don't know how anybody can write so, a series without one. Okay, I counted 34 books. Did you write 34 books or 31? It's 31. The reason why it gets confusing is because uh, one was in anthology, so I don't count that. And then I had two books that came out a million years ago. And then um, I, once they were out of print, I sold them to my current publisher, Penguin Random House. And then they um, uh, put them together in a double volume. So that's really... So I don't count the individuals and then the double volume as separate books. I only count I only count those three as two. Oh my gosh. Okay, cool. I want to double check because I'm really bad at math. So I um I have to go and look on my website and count and then figure it out. No, you're totally good. I wanted to ask um you know, you published 31 books. That is a lot. With this with your most recent book, The Shop on Royal Street. Has there been any uh, like differences or changes in your publishing process or things gone easier, harder? It's, it's still like inventing, reinventing the wheel with every book. It never gets easier, ever, ever, ever. And I still don't have the confidence. You know, every time I start a book, it's like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. What? This is a blank. How on earth am I going to fill this page with all of these words? I mean... Maybe, maybe that's all writers are that way. I don't know, but I'm just, you know, my self-confidence just jumps out the window when I start writing, um, you know, and I'm like, oh, this, this is, oh, it's really not until I finish the book and I turn it into my editor and she's like, oh, I really like this, that I'm like, oh. even with edits and everything, that's fine. I can fix, I can fix anything. I just need to know that my editor sees promise in a book, you know? Um, she's never said this is hopeless, so um, not yet, but she came close with one book and that ended up being my best book, so um, she has a good eye. Wow, that is so cool. Oh my goodness. How long did it take you to write Shop on Royal Street? Oof, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to gauge um, because, you know, the last three to four years, my personal life has just gone haywire. So I've had, I haven't had those dedicated chunks of time to write. So with the shop on Royal Street, it was just, you know, writing when I can. And I did get an, a deadline extension. Um, I mean, it was, it was harried writings. I, I couldn't even tell you. I don't remember when I started. I do remember that it was originally due June 1st, and I turned it in August 1st. Um, yeah, but you know, so then we had to really rush things uh, because it came out March 29th. Um, and they prefer not to do that, and I prefer that they not do that. Um, but I just, you know, I've, I've just had lots, like way too much going on in my personal life that I just cannot you know, I can only juggle so many balls without dropping, dropping one or two at a time. And, um, sadly, because writing does take, like, I can't write while I'm doing other things. I can't write while I'm driving. I can't write while I'm, um, you know, caring for my parents or planning my daughter's wedding. It's not like my husband who, who's on the phone all day. He can, he can get productive work done while he's driving to the office. I cannot, you know, it's, 
I, it is sit your butt in the chair and, um, you know, the social, the whole social media world has exploded since my first book came out. Even like five years ago, I could go to the beach for a month and do nothing but write. It, I would be left alone to write. Even my husband knew he wasn't allowed to come. Only my dogs were allowed to come, um, which was great. I would get up, write, 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 write. That's all. And I just, the focus was there. I could, you know, it was the best. But now it's like, oh, social media. Oh, the, you know, it's, if I had nothing else to do, social media would be really, really fun. But unfortunately, <laughs> I've got a lot to do and, and social media is, it really is the rabbit hole for me. Um, and so I'm either all or nothing. It's very hard to go piecemeal with it. And because I'm about to go on tour again for the next book, The Lost Summers of Newport, it's going to be, there will be no writing getting done because I will be social mediaing, traveling and speaking. And it's, it's really hard to kind of fit it all in. And I, five years ago, it wasn't like this. Five years ago, my life was so much easier. You know, my, my parents were okay. My daughter wasn't engaged. Social media wasn't really as big as it is now. I had Facebook and that was it, you know? And now it's like, and then when my publisher said, well, you know, the big thing now is TikTok. I'm like, no, time out, <laughs> not doing that, but thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Who Wrote That Book featuring Karen White. She was so delightful to get to know and it was so fun listening to her story. You can visit her website at karen-white.com to learn more about her and her other books as well. You can also follow her on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, and Goodreads which are all linked in the description of this episode. Follow us on Instagram at who wrote that book to be updated with upcoming episodes, behind the scenes, and more. Share the love, as always, and leave a review. It helps me know what you guys are thinking about the show, and it helps us to be easier to find on all streaming platforms. We'll see you guys later on Who Wrote That Book, hosted by me.